Lord, we do find security and joy in the simple good news that there is nowhere that we can go that is away from the great love that you have for us. Lord, as we open the scriptures this day, we ask for the insight of your Holy Spirit that you might lift up for us the intent of a letter that was written to ancient people and we might carry that great good news into our lives this day. Amen. Would you be seated, please? So we are in the seventh chapter of the New Testament book of First Corinthians. And I think as you hear the scripture this morning, you'll notice that there is a change in the tone of the scripture. We're about halfway through this first letter uh, that is recorded in the New Testament. And so up until this point, Paul has been responding to accusations against the church, and his tone has been pretty harsh. He has said things like, Under no circumstances should you divide yourselves along the lines of the personalities of the teachers in your church. Under no circumstances, as a group of a hundred Christians in a Roman colony, should you take one another to a Roman court. Under no circumstances should you disregard all morality. This is important stuff. So he's been saying, danger, danger, don't do this. And at this point in the scripture, his tone shifts. And he begins to address questions that they have for him. And so his tone that has been danger, danger, Will Robinson, turns into let's discern together how to live out the truth of the gospel. And so you're going to notice in this first verse of chapter 7 that Paul is quoting. He quotes from their letter and then he addresses their concern, and he talks about how they might live out life in community with one another and in marriages. Okay, so this is chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, it is well for a man not to touch a woman, end of quote. But because of cases of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again. So that ta- Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This I say, it's by way of concession, it's not a command. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has a particular gift from God, one having one kind and another a different kind. The first thing that I want to recognize in this passage of scripture is that Paul makes room for two different ways a person can honor and serve God. Married or single. There is not just one way to be faithful, he says. You don't have to be single to serve God well. 
And you don't have to be married to have all that Christianity has to allow to you. Paul writes that he himself is single. Now, we don't know that he's always been single. He may have been married for a time. We don't know. But at this point in his life, he is, in fact, single. And he says that this is a great way to honor and serve God. He also acknowledges that marriage is a great place to honor and serve God. So the way that he puts it is each has a particular gift from God. Each way has a particular gift from God. The gift of singleness, to be single focused and to have that time of solitude. And the gift of married life, to live out covenant relationship and to experience deep intimacy. One doesn't take precedence over the other. One is not prioritized over the other. And so a good way, certainly not the only way, but a good way to intersect with this passage today is to walk away from here with a sense of gratitude for the particular time in your life, whether you are married or single, to see that space as a good place, as a good opportunity for you to live out your faith. If you are married, acknowledge the gift this morning. If you are single, acknowledge the gift this morning. My youngest was invited to a birthday party this week, and uh, there were no gifts at this birthday party. The invitation said, just bring a donation for the women's and children's shelter. And Daniel and I admitted together that we liked that, and it wasn't because of our very generous hearts, but it was instead that you wouldn't have to write thank you notes after the party, right? Well, this place in scripture is a place where the thank you note is not just a hassle. But the thank you note is admitting that the relationship that you're in is good. And it's a place with ample opportunity to put into practice what you believe. You can put into practice what you believe, whether you're married or single. So, okay, Regardless of whether or not you are able to be in a place of gratitude this morning, let's consider what Paul teaches about how we understand ourselves and our relationships. And I want us to think this morning in terms of boundaries. My friend Trisha Taylor is a pastoral counselor, and she says that boundaries are the way that we understand what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us, or where we will go And where we won't go. So today we are putting up fences. We are establishing boundaries. And the first boundary that I want you to draw is a fence that I want you to put up around yourself. Put a fence up around yourself and your identity as God's beloved child. This boundary is significant. It's important both to married and to single people. That we understand ourselves as valued, that we understand ourselves as worthy of love. I've had different moments in time when I really get this. There was a night that I remember when I was sitting alone with my very first infant, and as I focused on her, I recognized and I surprised myself by how much I loved her. And then, a step beyond that, I got, oh, Lord, you love me even more than I love this child. That's a lot. I can't say that the fence that I put around 
my identity around this identity of being valued and worthy is always tight. There are times when this fence needs to be repaired. There are places that this fence is weak. Shame comes and tears up the fence, telling me that I'm not worth it or I'm not good enough. And I think in those moments of unworthiness or shamefulness, it's important and helpful to come against those moments with passages of Scripture. One of my favorite is the end of Romans chapter 8. We sang it this morning. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No shame, no sense of unworthiness, nothing that anybody tells us can separate us from God's great love. Another passage that I like is the first uh, letter to John chapter 4. God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. It's important to do that fence repair because that boundary, that fence is fundamental It's foundational for how we live out our lives in marriages, and it's foundational for how we live out our lives as single people. When this fence is in place, you won't let yourself be degraded or devalued or controlled. And when this fence is in place, you won't attempt to degrade or devalue or control another person. You will live out what is true for you. You will let other people live out what's true for them. And what is true for the people of Christ is that we are valued and we have work to do, bringing in God's kingdom. The second fence that I want to put up, the second boundary that I want you to draw, and Paul is pretty clear on this in this passage in the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians He wants you to put up a boundary around you and your spouse. Draw a fence around you and your mate who belongs to you, who is yours to care for. Paul says you belong to your spouse and your spouse belongs to you. And this is very different from the Greco-Roman way of understanding marriage. For the Corinthians, marriage was typically arranged And uh, the male would be the dominant power in the relationship. So it wouldn't be unusual for a woman in Corinth to hear that she and her body belonged to her husband. But hey, it was crazy for a man in Corinth to hear that he and his body belonged to his wife. You know, the way of marriage in the ancient world was that the wife was fenced in and the husband was out horsing around. Paul says, I want different for you. I want more for you. New Testament scholar Gilbert Bilzekian says that this passage brings an explosive newness to marriage. He goes on to say, you know what Paul writes? A couple is not like an army unit, so they don't need a commanding general. A couple, well, a couple is not like a business, so they don't need a CEO. A couple is not like a government, so they don't need a ruler. You know what he suggests a couple is? He says a couple is a microcosm of the church. So, in a couple and in a church, 
We value and we utilize our differences. No one pulls rank saying, I have no need of you. We acknowledge and we value one another and our need for one another. What gets challenged in this passage is that there might be a person who was so dependent that they couldn't contribute. And then the inverse corollary also gets challenged that there might be a person that was so independent that they would have no need for contributions. Paul will say later in this very letter, in the body of Christ, be it a church or be it a marriage, there is no, I have no need of you. I am convinced that the kingdom of God will not enter in when someone or some group is left out or excluded. The kingdom of God will not enter in when some of us believe that we are lesser citizens or some of us tell others that they are lesser citizens because of a badge that they wear, or because of the color of their skin. We all are included, and all of our voices need to be heard. In a marriage, psychologist John Gottman wrote that the top predictor of betrayal in a relationship is when one spouse can turn to the other and say, think, I can do better. I can do better than him. Or I could do better than her. We are called in our marriages to look at our mate and not think I could do better than him. But I could do better for him. Paul is calling for mutual submission. And he will write this again when he addresses the church at Ephesus. He will say to them about marriage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the Greek word for submit means literally to get under and to lift up. So, in submitting to one another, we are not groveling. We are not demeaning ourselves. We are not devaluing ourselves. But instead, in submitting to one another, we are finding ways to make our spouse's life better. We are finding ways to lift them up. We are finding ways for them to be noticed, for them to be honored. I'll never forget Keith's response to one of our daughters when she came home with the notion that in a Christian household, the woman should take care of the home and the man should do the teaching of Scripture. He said, you know, in this house, I pick out the curtains. And if someone asks me what I think about a scripture passage, I'm going to say, hold on a second while I go ask my wife because she knows. And there's nothing wrong with that. I overheard this conversation and I thought, hey, he's in there teaching scripture. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's what Paul wrote about how a marriage should be. It's not how we divide up the labor, but a Christian marriage is instead how we lift one another up as we do the work of life. How we can get underneath one another and submit and lift each other up. There was an article in the Atlantic just two years ago in 2014 that related the research that three in ten couples, there are only three in ten couples who can 
qualify for the heading of healthy and happy. So we all walk down the aisle intending to be in healthy and happy relationships. But only 30% of us, as we live out our marriages, are healthy and happy. The difference between couples who were labeled masters and those who were labeled disasters was the ability to turn toward one another. The ability for one partner to turn toward the other when the other makes a request or a bid for connection. So this doesn't have to be a big thing. It happens every day in most households where there are married couples. An example is that a husband might look out in the backyard and he might say, he might notice a cardinal flying across the backyard and say, hey, what a beautiful bird. So he's not just commenting on the bird, but he's requesting for a response, for some interest or some support. So there's a spectrum in the way that a wife could respond. I could, as a wife, say, oh, yeah, that's a beautiful bird. I see that bird. Or I could say, stop bothering me. There's a spectrum that you can reply. Um, Kindness is the most important predictor for satisfaction in a marriage. And this research goes on to say that kindness is not so much a quality that we have when we enter into marriage, but kindness is a muscle that we build. So it doesn't matter how we come into marriage, how kind we are when we come into marriage, but it matters how we practice kindness, how we turn toward one another so that that muscle can get stronger and stronger. The PG-13 element of this passage of Scripture plainly states, That the physical relationship in a marriage is about a turning toward one another with kindness. The physical relationship in a marriage is merely a symbolic expression of a covenantal love that highly regards submission. So the last fence that I want you to put up, the last boundary that we are called uh, to build is this fence that I want you to put up around your spouse, this fence that I want you to put up around your mate. And what I want you to know about this fence as you fence them in is that you need to know that the property isn't really yours. Then in this instance, you are just the caretaker. As you are a beloved child of God, it's important that you see your spouse as a beloved child of God and valued by God and worthy of attention as well. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus told a parable to those who were following him, and it was a parable about talents and the multiplying of talents. And there are some versions of the Bible that call this not talents, but bags of gold. So the master comes and he gives five bags of gold to one servant, two bags of gold to another servant, and one bag of gold to the third servant. And the master leaves. And the the servant with five bags of gold multiplies that gold to ten bags. The one who's given two bags of gold multiplies that gold to four. But the servant who has given one bag of gold buries that bag into the ground. When the master returns, he says to the first two servants, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the third servant, he says, you are wicked and lazy. 
And then he tells that servant that he should have invested that one bag of gold. And he takes the bag away from him and he gives it to another person. I suspect that God doesn't want my spouse returned just as he was when I got him. But God wants my spouse better, stronger. The question then becomes, how can I invest in my marriage? Not so that my marriage is a better experience for me, but how can I invest in my marriage so that all of life is better for my spouse? Will you pray with me? Loving God, we acknowledge this day that above all else, you are a God of relationship. You value relationship with us, and you value our relationships with one another. And so, Lord, I ask a special blessing upon those among us who are single this day. I ask that they might know the security of your great love for them, that they might in their time of solitude find uh, the deep value and worth that you have for them, and that they may then live out their faith in community. I also ask a blessing upon those of us who are married this day. And I ask, Lord, that we might see in our spouses a child of God whom you value, who is of great worth to you. Lord, show us ways that we might make their lives better, that they might grow in Christ-likeness, and we might also. Lord, may there not be anyone among us who is lonely. Would you take loneliness away from us that we might know relationship with you and we might know relationship with one another. We thank you for the great good work you have for us. Amen.